Back a few years ago, many of you will remember that there was a TV show, and it was called Undercover Boss. How many of you remember this show? How many? Yeah, you, you remember this show, Undercover Boss. It was the TV show where the CEO of the company would show up for work at one of the company's outlets as a new hire. The premise of the program was that the CEO would discover how the rank-and-file employee felt about their jobs, their work environment, and the overall treatment. For many of the CEOs, this provided an eye-opening experience. Many of the CEOs were surprised at the work conditions, the daily tasks, and the treatment of the workers. I mean, I, it was really eye-opening. I, I think I caught a couple of the episodes, and I remember one of the episodes, the CEO was a, I think it was a trash removal company, and, and, and here the, the CEO was just, you know, pretending to be like the new hire that was going to ride along for the day, and, 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 and they were just surprised at what the, the, the employees had to deal with. Later, after so many episodes, it would be revealed that the new employee wasn't just a new employee, but he or she was the boss, the CEO of the corporation. Now, while this eye-opening experience was new for some of the CEOs on Undercover Boss, when it comes to our faith, our captain, our Lord, our CEO, if you will, is not surprised with your situation. He's not surprised with the situation of your life, and he's not surprised with the situation at your workplace. He's fully aware of your situation, and he's not surprised by it at all because he fully experienced this walk as a human being. Jesus, the Son of God, submitted himself to being incarnated as a human and submitting himself to every situation, every institution of life. He submitted himself to his family. He submitted himself to the synagogue. He submitted himself, as the New Testament tells us, even to death and death upon a cross. So when the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, he's telling us that Jesus lived this life as a human and fully and completely showed us how to do it, how to live it. He's the author and finisher of the faith. Here in our text tonight, Peter presents Jesus as an example of how we're to conduct ourselves on the job, at our places of employment, and in our relationship with our boss, our supervisor, or manager. Tonight, we'll learn from our heavenly boss, who under the cover of human flesh, showed us how to conduct ourselves in the workplace. I've got a couple points for you tonight, if you're taking notes. The first point is this. Show proper submission to your earthly boss. Show proper submission to your earthly boss. Let's pick it up in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, uh, beginning at verse 18. Let's read it. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Show proper submission 
to your earthly boss. We want to we know how, as a 21st century Christian, how it is that we're supposed to conduct ourselves in our workplace on the job with the environment that we find ourselves when we're at work. And we're to show proper submission to those that are in authority over us in our work. When you come to Jesus, you, when you become a Christian, you're called to the life of Christ. This is something that for the believer that we have to understand. When you become a Christian, you are called to the life of Christ. This is what you're called to. The life of Christ stands in stark contrast to the world's values and overall approach. And so as a Christian, if you're called to the life of Christ, you're called to a life that Jesus lived that is in stark contrast to the world, to the way that the world would live their life out. So when it comes to our work, and specifically our conduct on the job, we're called to a higher standard, Christian. We're called to a higher standard. We're called the Jesus standard. Amen? Peter here calls on Christians to show proper submission to their earthly masters or bosses. He addresses servants here. As we picked it up in verse 18 there, it says servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, the Greek, the Greek word here for servant, it, it means house servant. It, it, it was a, it's a word in the Greek, it means house servant. And some commentators have suggested that Peter uses this word for house servant instead of the stronger word doulos, which is actually, to take it all the way out, to slave, doulos. Paul opens up his letters to the Romans, Paul, a slave of Christ or a bondservant of Christ. Here, Peter is using a little bit of a different word. It's the word that is actually a house servant. And uh, some commentators have suggested that maybe uh, for Peter's particular audience, he wanted to uh, just kind of use a different word so as not to uh, just kind of rile everybody up on this particular point, not to be too offensive to the Gentile Christian readers of this letter. But the, the reality today is that if you are employed that you, have, you, you are a servant to your employer. This, this is what you have done. You have sold yourself, in that sense, to the employment of your employer. And so in that sense, you are the servant, and your job is your master. Now, there, I don't want to get into um, slavery and Old Testament slavery and um, whether indeed the, the, the Bible condones slavery or not. But I do want to bring up one particular point about that because I think it is worthy of mention. And that is the fact that a lot of the slavery that you come across in the Old Testament, there's provision in the law that stated this whole idea of selling yourself into slavery. So and, and, and in a sense, if you, if you get the analogy, that's, that's actually what we do in, in a sense when we become employed. We are selling us, we're selling our services, you're selling your time, your effort, your energy, your skill, and you're selling it, you're offering yourself as a servant to your master, your boss, okay? So we get kind of bogged down in kind of the ancient language, but the principle is still the same. The principle of showing proper submission to our masters, or let's say the boss or the employer. Uh, so we have given ourselves to be servants to our companies and to specifically um, the management of our company. The language has changed uh, from the harsh word slave to employee. 
And so the command for the Christian is to show proper submission and proper respect to our bosses. Now, if you look at verse 18 there, it says, be, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And he says, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And so he, he says to be submissive to our, our earthly masters, and he, he doesn't really kind of give us an out there. He doesn't get, you know, well, if they're really, you know, just, you know, jerks or whatever, you know, you're okay, you don't have to do it, you know. No, he, he says, you know, to the good, for the good and gentle and also for the harsh. Now, good and gentle, I, 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 you probably don't need a whole lot of commentary on the good and gentle boss, right? The good and gentle employee. How many have a good and gentle boss? Amen, right? Yeah, do I have it? Yes, I see, yeah, some of you are blessed of the Lord. You have a good and gentle boss. And so be submissive, be obedient, be that employee that is just rock solid on the job, that, that you're showing your employer that you're, that you're, that you're a keeper. Amen? And, and, and that's the godly thing to do. Now, to, to, to be submissive to the good and gentle. Wow, that's, that's probably the easier thing. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Also to the harsh. I want to concentrate on this word harsh um, because if you do have a, a boss that's harsh, I don't know, no, no raising of hands here on this one, just keep it to yourself, but you know who you are if you have a harsh boss. Um, the word for harsh here, in, in the Greek is actually the word, it's actually the word scoliosis. And it, it, means, it means crooked. It's, it's crooked. Remember in school, we used to have our backs checked. I don't know if they still do this. Teachers, anybody, do they still do this? I remember lining up in the gym. And they'd have everybody line up and they'd and, and, and then you'd come around and it was your turn and you'd bend over and they'd check your back and whatever and to make sure you didn't have scoliosis. Remember that? You remember doing that? Yes, for some of you, it's so long ago, you can't remember. But trust me, I know that you probably did do it. If I did it in the 70s, I think you probably did it earlier than that. But anyways, scoliosis, it's, it's this idea of crookedness. It's a crooked back. And, and, uh, and I want to talk about this whole idea of you know, the harsh boss or the, the, the crooked boss in, in that sense. First of all, as a, as a person, as a Christian, first of all, before you're a servant to your boss, first of all, you're a servant to the Lord. That is, servanthood first is always first to the Lord. And we learn this in the book of Leviticus. We learn this as the priests were, were consecrated to the work of ministry, that it says very clearly that the priesthood that ministry is first to the Lord. So before you have served any other human being, before you have served any institution, before you have served any corporation, you are first and foremost a servant of the Lord, Christian. Amen? And, and so we've got to remember this. We've got to remember this. We're a servant of God. And Peter has already called Christians in our study that we've been doing in 1 Peter. He's already called Christians a royal priesthood, right? a royal priesthood of believers. So not only are you a servant of God, but you're a part of a body of believers that are a royal, yes, priesthood. And you're, it's a priesthood of believers that you're a servant of God, that you're a minister of God yourself because you have that relationship with the Lord. And so we're a royal priesthood. Now, very specifically, we see in Revelation chapter 5, we see 
the, the, the redeemed of the Lord that are thanking God in heaven and they're thanking him for what reason? They're saying, thank you, God, praise you, God, for you have made us kings and priests. These people up in heaven, these human beings that have been redeemed from the earth, they're thanking God. Why? Because God has made them priests and kings. We, we're a royal priesthood of believers. And so you're a priest unto God. I know that for some with certain backgrounds, that freaks people out when you tell that if you're a Christian, you're a priest unto God. You're a servant of the Lord. It's sometimes you can't handle it, but you got to just kind of put that on, you know, just put it on. Amen? And, and that's what you are in the Lord. Now, I want to take you back to Leviticus. I like doing this every once in a while, I like taking you back to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, one of these passages, to dig out a nugget about what it is that we are in Christ. Amen? We're a servant. We're a priest before God. And in Leviticus, there were two, well, there were a few physical characteristics for the priest, a few physical characteristics that they had to, to meet in order to be a priest before the Lord. Number one, well, the first one was they had to be of the tribe of Levi. They had to be a Levite. And once, and once, once, once you got that, once you had the right genes, amen, once you had the Levi genes, <laughs> thank you, once you had the Levi genes and that was all clear, then you had to make sure that you were checked out on some other physical things, amen? And the two of them that I want to highlight tonight in order to be a priest and to serve the Lord in the tabernacle and specifically you know, in the tabernacle and temple, you had to have a straight back and you had to have a thick skin. In other words, you couldn't be scoliosis. You had to be straight spine. Amen? And you had to have a thick skin. You couldn't have like an irritable skin. And I want to read some verses here in Leviticus because I think it's good. Because you need to know that the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's all combined into one thing and it works and it's a magnificent book. Amen? From cover to cover. I want to read you a, a couple of verses here in Leviticus chapter 21. We're going to pick it up verse 16. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Wait, hold on before we read. The setting is the, the chapter 21 deals with the consecration of the priesthood of the Levites under the ministry at the tabernacle, okay? So you're with me. Now we're going to pick it up. Verse 16 of Leviticus 21, it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has, who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a blind man or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand. And here we come to verse 20. Or a hunchback of Notre Dame. No, that's not in there. That's not in there. Or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. Okay, this isn't a study in Leviticus, so I don't have time to go through all that, but that is an awesome little study right there about who we are in the Lord. We're not lame. We've got sight and vision to, to, to see what God's doing in our lives. We need to be people of vision. We need to be people of purity. We need to be people of a straight back and a, and a firm spine. We need to be people that ha have, have a thick skin because the world is going to come against us. And they're going to come against us with all kinds of stuff, with verbal insults and all kinds of stuff is going to be happening. And we've got to be people that can be the people that can stand and be the servants of God to do that work. Now, 
I just, I, you can't read a verse on a Saturday night that has the words crushed testicles in it without at least referencing it and explaining it a little bit. The idea here, amen? Amen? Yeah. Where have you been to Bible study where crushed testicles has been brought up? South Coast Church, amen? Because it's all in the Word. Every Word of God is profitable and useful for the instruction of mankind, amen? And so crushed testicles dealt with you weren't to be a eunuch. You were to be you know, further earlier in the chapter talked about, I don't know where, I won't use name, but I don't wear certain parts of the church, got the idea that the priesthood would not be married because it's very clear in the scripture that the priesthood was married. Not only were they to be married, but they were to procreate. In other words, they weren't to be eunuchs. They weren't to have crushed testicles. They were to be people who procreated. And I think there's a spiritual application as servants of the Lord. We need to be the type of people that are winsome in the Lord and that are able to multiply in the Lord and bring others into the family of God. Amen. And so enough on the, on the crushed testicles. Okay, let's move on. Two things. You couldn't have scoliosis, you couldn't be a hunchback, and you couldn't have a light skin or an irritable skin. God has called us to be these kinds of servants to him. And so we're going to be that type of servant. Now when we go out into the world, we're going to find that other people don't have those things in their life. They don't have those qualities. They are irritable. They don't have, vi they lack vision to see. They lack perspective to see things the way they are. And you find these people, you'll find them on the job. Maybe one of these people is your boss currently. And, and, and you see these people that don't fit the description of the servant of the Lord. But for the believer, this is the type of people that we're to be. Whether we're in our family, whether we're in our neighborhoods, whether we're on the job, these are the types of servants of God that we're to be. Amen? And we're going to come across people that aren't these things. And God says, I want you to submit to your earthly masters, to the good and gentle, but also to the scoliosis. Also to the one that is not like you, Christian, the one that is crooked in his ways, the one that, 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 that doesn't uh, manage fairly, the, the one that maybe comes down on you harshly, the one that maybe uh, it, it has some other type of crookedness in the way that he goes about managing the situation. And so we've got to be people that learn how to uh, fit in in that situation, and we're not called to be disruptive on the job. We're not called to necessarily buck the system. It, you really, if you find yourself in that situation, you know, you need to pray about it and maybe ask the Lord that he might provide other employment for you. Or God may come back and answer and say, well, no, actually, I want you there. I want you there because you're going to be a witness to this manager that has scoliosis in the way he's running things, in the way he is. He's a crooked manager, but I want you to be a witness for me. I want you to be my servant there. I want you to be a person that's not a hunchback. I want you to be a person that brings vision to, to, to the way that you approach the job. I want you to be a person that's not irritable and has the scabby skin. I want you to be that type of person, and I want you to be the type of person that has a winsome way about you that can reproduce spiritually. Amen? And this is how we're supposed to be. If our boss is crooked, it doesn't give us an excuse to be disrespectful. It's not, excuse, it's not an excuse to stir up trouble on the job. We are there to do the job. And if we find ourselves in a place where we cannot do the job, then we may need to find our way to the door and find a new place where we can 
do the job. Amen? Because that's why we're there. Now, you have the right to, to do that. We have that right. For some of Peter's listeners, they maybe didn't have that luxury to say, okay, yeah, I'll just put my, just put my application in down, down the street, you know? Maybe they didn't have that particular luxury that we might have. But pray about it. Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. But as a Christian, we're called to show the proper respect for the person in charge and to obey what they are asking us to do. Some people want to get ahead, but they are always bucking the system. They're looking for a way to get out of the responsibilities that they signed up for. This is one that's always a head-scratcher, right? See, people, especially, this is the one where I don't get it with the ballplayers, you know? The ballplayers that signed the contract for millions of dollars, we're all going to work for thousands of dollars. They're going to work for millions of dollars, but no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit out. Okay, that's, you know, that's my rant on that. Um, <laughs> I have some friends here that might even take it further, but uh, <laughs> on, the, uh, on, on the ball players, hey, you signed a contract, show up for work and do the job, amen? That's what you, that's what you signed up for, and if, and, it, and if you can't do it, then, then, then you know, don't cause a stir, don't cause a, a stink, you know, uh, be, a, be a person of God, be a servant of the Lord, and do the right thing, amen? Now, next, Peter tells us, uh, well, let's, let's look here at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, this respect, reverence, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what cre credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, this, this is a particular couple verses where you've got to really understand the context of the first century uh, situation that, that Peter, the apostle, is addressing uh, in, this, in this particular couple of verses, okay? Um, next, Peter tells us that if we're punished on the job for not doing our job or being disrespectful or whatever, that's of no credit to us. In other words, if if, if you endure the punishment and you deserved it, that's not commendable. It's commendable when you were unjustly punished or unjustly dealt with severely and you endure that as unto the Lord, then that is commendable. That is something that the Lord commends. He looks down and says, yes, I com I, I, that is commendable from that standpoint. Now, Peter says, no, you are to be commended when you are punished or treated harshly. And, and here's where the first century context comes into play. Really what the context was is someone on the job being uh, treated harshly for their commitment to the Lord. And specifically for their commitment to the Lord and not wanting to participate in certain activities that are, are outside of what we need to be doing as Christians and where there's specific principles and commands in the word that we're not to do certain things. And, and I'm going to get real specific so that you understand exactly what Peter, what I believe Peter is talking about. Uh, to get a close look at what Peter was speaking about here, listen to what one commentator had to say about this particular verse. It appears from this that the poor Christians, and especially those who had been converted to Christianity, in a state of slavery, were often grievously abused. They were buffeted because they were Christians, 
and because they would not join with their masters in idolatrous worship. Okay, this is the first century context. Christians, people were coming to the Lord. People were giving their hearts and lives to the Lord. They were getting saved. They were coming into the church. They were becoming servants of the the Most High God. But on the job or in that place where they were servants or even slaves, they were being ridiculed and dealt with harshly because they would not submit to the things that were these extracurricular things in some of the jobs in the first century. And I'm going to get a little bit more clear. This is addressed in Jesus' letter to the church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation chapter two, uh, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven churches. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven different churches. One, one letter to seven different churches. And one of the letters was to a church called Thyatira. And in Thyatira, you'll remember Thyatira comes up uh, in the founding of the church of Philippi. Uh, you remember Lydia was from Thyatira, right? She sold textiles. She sold uh, a purple cloth, right? And so she was, she, was, uh, she was there in Philippi, but she was from Thyatira, and she was in Philippi doing business selling uh, cloth, textiles. And she was a part of that group of women that were meeting in prayer down by the river when Paul came to Philippi and founded the church of Philippi. Amen. Now, the, church at the, the, the city of Thyatira was addressed in Jesus' letters to the seven churches. They were one of the seven. And Jesus had some good things to say about the church of Thyatira, but he also had some things that he wanted to bring out about them that needed correction. And this is what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, to the church of Thyatira. He says, but I have this against you. You'll see it on the screen. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, when you do the study on the seven churches and you come to the seventh, you come to the church of Thyatira, you get into the context, you get into the meat of what's going on in that particular uh, section of scripture, you, you, you uncover that what Jesus is identifying here is exactly what Peter is identifying here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, that Christians were in the trade guilds in their various cities, and what would happen is if they were involved in the trade guilds, the masters of these trade guilds would would uh, exhort and encourage all the different people in those trade guilds to be involved in idolatrous worship. And a lot of times that idolatrous worship would involve sexual immorality. And it was just a very perverse thing. And so this is a part of the general context of what was happening there in Thyatira. And so to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols... Here Jesus describes the specific sin of this woman Jezebel. Mainly she was an immoral and ungodly influence on others and led others into sin. Jezebel led others into immorality and idolatry. I don't have time to go back and do the whole backstory on Jezebel who who was the daughter of the the, the Phoenician king who married the the king of Israel uh, and, 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 and brought absolute corruption into the house of Israel. And, 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 and seduced uh, many in Israel to, to be involved in, in this worship of Baal, and, and, which involved all kinds of perverse things and sexual immoralities. 
And so the, the, when you hear the term Jezebel, it is, it, it is then a historical person and an historical fact that has become a picture of that which would draw people into idolatrous practices and sexual immorality. Now here's what was happening in the first century again. In the trade guilds, they were being asked to participate in this type of idol worship, worship of the gods, and sexual immorality. And so what Peter is addressing here is he's saying, hey, when you're treated harshly because you're doing good, because you're acknowledging God, because you're standing up and being a servant of the Lord and having a straight spine and, 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 and not a scoliosis person, you're being that servant of the Lord that I've called you to be. Hey, take, take what comes your way because it's commendable that you're doing this because you're standing up in that sense and not being led astray by the Jezebel-type spirit. Uh, well, let, let me read this. I, I, I basically said this already, but this is what I had written. Because of the strong trade guilds in Thyatira, the sexual immorality and the eating of things sacrificed to idols was probably connected with mandatory social occasions of the guilds. And so you can understand that this was a tough situation for a first century Christian worker. And just imagine what it would be like for you today. Uh, to, be, to be put in such a situation. And I believe that there are people that are put in situations like this. I mean, there's people that are put in situations like this, and, and, and in today's world, then you have to make, a, you have to make a, a decision. You have to make a decision about whether there's a place that you could actually continue to be employed with. The draw to the guilds and their meetings was powerful. No merchant or trader could hope to prosper or make money unless he was a member of his trade guild. Nonetheless, Christians were expected to stand in the face of this kind of pressure. One ancient Christian named Tertullian wrote about Christians who made their living in the trades connected to pagan idolatry. A painter might find work in pagan temples, or a sculptor might be hired to make a statue of a pagan god. And they would justify this by saying, this is my living and I must live. Uh, first century father Tertullian to that said, vivere ergo Hobbes, must you live? And uh, so it, it, it puts it in a situation where you, you have to make a decision. There are people that are put in situations where they have to say, I, 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 cannot, I can no longer do this. As, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, I cannot be involved in this particular. And I, we, we have friends, we know people that were involved in various trades and various things uh, in Las Vegas and different places around that had to come to the place where, you know what, I, I, I can't um, anymore in good conscience uh, be employed in this situation. So whatever situation, we're to do what's right. We're to do what's right. We're to have, we're to have good respect. We're to show proper submission to the good and gentle, and to the harsh. And for us today, maybe we have the luxury of saying, hey, God, get me out of here. Get me, get me, get me a, a, a new job. But maybe, as I said earlier, maybe he comes back to you and says, it, it's, it's not a situation where you're having to, be, to involve yourselves in any type of immorality, and you can be the light um, through Jesus in that particular place. Now, Peter goes on, and, and we'll uh, move on and try to wrap this up tonight. 
Um, the first point is show proper res- uh, uh, submission to your earthly boss. The second point is this. Follow the example of your heavenly boss. Amen? Follow the example of your heavenly boss. Let's pick it up, verse 21. It says this. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're to follow the example of our heavenly boss. As Christians and as people on the job, we're to follow the example of our heavenly boss. As Christians, we've been called to a higher standard. What standard is that? That standard is Christ. The standard that we've been called to as Christians is the standard of Christ. We've been called to the life of Christ. We've been called to follow the example of our Lord, of our Savior. He gave us an example in everything. Remember I referenced Hebrews in the opening. Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It doesn't say that he he, he mostly lived the perfect life. He mostly kind of touched all the bases. No, he's the author and finisher. He showed us how to live the life he showed us how to live life. Amen? And, and, and he went through all these situations. So he gives us an example in everything. He gave an example in washing the disciples' feet. He gave an example in laying down his life for his friends, for the world. Paul tells us here that Jesus gave us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. First, let's look here at the word example. Verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Christ left us an example of how we're to be, how we're to live. Now the word example here in the Greek is, it's a word, hypogrammos. Hypogrammos. And it means this. It means a writing copy, including all the letters of the alphabet, given to beginners as an aid in learning to draw them. And secondly, an example set before one. Do you remember... In school, when, you, when we were taught to write cursive. Do you remember that? Now, I, I, this was a debate a couple years ago whether they were going to do away with teaching our students cursive anymore. And, and honestly, I don't know uh, how that debate ended. I, I don't know if we're teaching our kids cursive anymore. But, 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 but pretty much everyone that I'm looking at tonight, you remember when you were at school and the teacher, you, you showed up one day and all of a sudden the teacher said, okay, we're going to learn to write cursive. What? Yeah. And actually, you were excited because you're like, hey, mom and dad write in cursive. And now I'm going to learn to write in cursive. I'm going to be a big person. Amen. And uh, so you're going to learn to write in cursive. And so one of the things that happened is they gave us a sheet of paper with all the letters on it in cursive. Right. Uh, put, put the picture up on the on the. On, yeah. Yeah. You remember this. You, re, you remember this. This thing. This 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 went around the room and you had your little pencil. And, and the teacher would say, okay, we're going to learn to write in cursive, and here's how you write the letter A in cursive. Big A, small A. And big B, small B. Big C, and small C. Right? And so what would we do? The assignment was, the first assignment, was that we would trace over every one of these 
letters. We had a piece of paper. Here's the assignment. I want you to trace over every single one of these letters because you're going to learn how to write in cursive. When this is all done, when we've gone through all these lessons, when we've gone through all the things that you need to do to learn cursive, you're going to know how to learn in cursive. And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to trace these letters in cursive. And that's what we did. This is what Peter is saying that Jesus did for us. He left us an example. He left us an example. He, he, he said, here's how I want you to live your life. Here's how I want you to endure, endure when you're being afflicted for standing up for me. Here's how I want you to be on the job. I want you to be that person that's a great employee. I want you to be that person that is the person that you would hire. Amen. If you were hiring yourself for the job, I want you to be that person. I, I, I want you to be that person that's a servant unto me and, and, and to serve me wholeheartedly. And here's what I want. I've shown you how to do it. And he handed us piece of paper with a bunch of cursive letters. No, that's not what he did. He showed us how to live in his life and how he responded in every situation that he was involved in while he was here as a human being. Amen? And Peter talks about this. He says, for, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Listen, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He, he, he did what was right, and he didn't have deceit, he didn't have untruth, he didn't have things in his mouth that were not true and correct, things that were not right. He didn't, he didn't have that type of stuff flowing out of his mouth. Now, I, 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 I'm not going to belabor that point, but you know as well as I do, you get on the job and there's a bunch of deceit and, and all kinds of garbagey garbage in all kinds of people's mouths, amen? You just, you know, the whole water cooler thing and the whole, what this person, and, and some of it's just so much drama. It's like, you know what, I can't take this drama. You guys, you know, you just deal with yourselves over there and I'm going to do, do the work over here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you, you, you know what I'm talking about at work. And, and, and it makes no difference how old people are or young people are. I mean, it, it, it's craziness, some of the stuff, that people just feel like they have to just kind of talk about everything. You know, sometimes you just need to be quiet and follow the footsteps of Christ, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, in this section... Peter is quoting and, and, doing, and taking a lot out of that section of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, all the way through the end of our passage tonight, verse 20, all the way down to verse 25, dealing with the, just the entire message of that chapter of Isaiah 53, about how we're sheep and we've gone astray and how the, the suffering servant came and took our iniquities upon himself and by his stripes we are healed and all that great stuff. But Jesus is the example and he was, a, he was an example, but before we get to the fact that he's the shepherd overseer of our souls, he committed himself as a sheep to the shearers. He committed himself as a sheep to the shearers. And the Bible says, Isaiah says, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So when he was reviled, he didn't, he didn't come back with... Rah, 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 rah. When he was accused, he didn't... Rah, 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 rah. As a shepherd, as a, as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And I'm going to steal one from my dad, a sermon title from my dad. This was the original silence of the lamb. Amen? 
This was the original. As a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And, uh, and so Jesus is our, our example. As someone who endured punishment unjustly, when he re, re, was reviled, Jesus didn't revile in return. This is the example he showed me. This is like him writing out the cursive A. The capital A, here's how you do it. When you're reviled, don't revile in return. When you're unjustly persecuted, just, just, just be the person that I've called you to be. Don't, don't, don't get ungodly with the situation. Don't, 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 get, don't, don't get ridiculous with the situation. This is the example that he showed us. Isaiah tells us this. Now there's another aspect with this word example, hypo, hypogrammos. Another aspect of this word example that I want to talk to you about, the root of hypogrammos, grammos, grammos is used by Homer, who wrote in the 800s before Christ. And in his works, the word also has a connotation, it, has, it had a connotation of tearing of the flesh by a lance and of engraving in tables, grammos. So this idea of engraving in tables. So you see that in hypogrammos as the, the letters and the instruction in that. But in grammos, you, you had this in Homer that, where it had the, this meaning of engraving in tables. And what I want to do is connect the dots because back in the, priest, in the priesthood, you had the high priest. You had Aaron, the high priest. And part of um, the, the robbery, the clothes that the, um, that the high priest would wear, uh, he, he, he had a righteous headgear. He, they, they were, he had a really cool hat. Amen? He, he had a really cool hat. And, and on this hat, he had a, it had a gold plate on it. And on this plate was engraved. On this plate was engraved holiness to Yahweh. Yeah, put it up on the screen. Holiness to Yahweh was engraved. And, 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 and what I want to do is I want to connect the dots because, because the example that he gave us is this example of his holiness. Now, the holiness of God definitely deals with moral holiness, but really, in a greater sense, it deals with the otherness, the separateness of God, that he's set apart, that he is other than. And when, when, when he shows us that he's holy, and I've talk, we've talked about this in our study. He calls us to his holiness. And so he calls us to holiness to Yahweh as well. Amen? And so this is, this is the people that we're called to be. God has called us to his holiness. Now Jesus in his earthly life committed himself to the righteous judgment of the Father. Through all this, the reviling, the suffering, the threatening... I mean, you know, Jesus was, I mean, everything. Beaten, his beard pulled out, you know, spit upon his face, you know, scourged to an unbelievable pulp. Man, he left us an example. He left us an example. And what did Jesus do? He committed himself to the righteous, the righteous judgment of his heavenly father. Amen? The father, the son committed himself entrusted himself to the righteous judgment of the Father. And in the example that he leaves us, he calls us to the same thing. He calls us to entrust ourselves to the righteous judgment. You know, sometimes thank God that there is a final restitution of all things. 
Thank God that there is, that God is a righteous judge. Thank God. And we can commit ourselves to him. We can entrust ourselves to him because every right, every wrong is not going to be righted on this side of eternity. But everything will be restituted. Everything will be brought into a final consummation of all things. And it's because God is going to judge righteously and rightly over all the people of the earth. Amen? And so right now we have the opportunity to commit ourselves, to entrust ourselves to our heavenly boss who will judge righteously. Peter says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The suffering of Jesus is clearly an example for us. But it's far more than an example. He also bore our sins as a sin-bearing substitute and provided for our healing. Peter says here, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live, righteous, live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Now, Peter adds the phrase, quoting from Isaiah 53, by his stripes you have been healed. Now, many have connected physical healing to this verse, by his stripes we are healed. But the reality is, and the main thrust of what I think Isaiah 53 is talking about, Isaiah 53, 5, is that we have been healed from our spiritual disease and death. That is what the believer is healed from. By his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 equals healed from spiritual death. This is what you've been healed from. You have been healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Look at the way Peter says that. By whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. Right? Believer, Christian, you've been healed from spiritual death by Jesus' stripes that he took upon himself. The punishment, the unjust punishment, but the punishment that he took on our behalf, he bore our sins. Upon that tree, Peter says. The tree? Yeah, the tree. The cursed tree. The cursed tree that he died on. The, the, the law tells us that it was a curse for anybody to be hung on a tree. And Paul tells us in Galatians that he became a curse for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Amen? Wow, what a powerful thing. Now let's, write, let's wrap it all up. Amen? In the last verse there, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have a shepherd. We have an overseer. You have a shepherd of your soul. You have an overseer over your life. The overseer, this is the word shepherd. The idea here is a pastor. Overseer, some have translated into English bishop. There's guys that go around, you know, they're bishops. I never... I, I don't think it would catch on with me, right? You know, Bishop Charles. You know, I don't think you're going to come in next week. How's it going, Bishop Charles? How, how, how was your week? No, I, I don't think it's going to catch on. But, but, but it's the idea of a bishop. It's the idea of an overseer. It's, about, it's an idea of someone who's looking over the lives of people. And this is exactly what Jesus is. We have a pastor. We have a shepherd of our souls who leads us. And he leads us in a different walk. 
He le- Christian, he leads you in a different walk. It's a different walk than the person that maybe is, the, is in the next cubicle, in the next station, in, in the next outlet, in the next place where, where the corporation or the place or the institution where you work. You, you've been called, Christian, because you have an overseer. You have a Lord and Savior. You have a pastor. You have a, a, a shepherd of your soul. You've been called to a different walk. And because of that, God, you need to entrust your life to him. You entrust your life to him. Back in the day, and here's my musical reference, two of them. Back in the day, one of my favorite bands, Whiteheart, amen? Yeah, Whiteheart, Christian rock group. They were my favorite band for many, many years. And um, they had a song called The Beat of a Different Drum. And the song was about how we as Christians, that we march to a different drum beat. See, everyone, everyone's marching to a drum beat. Even the people that think they're, well, I'm way out here and I'm different. I'm cool and I'm different and I'm alternative. I used to tell kids in the 90s, you want to be alternative? Become a Christian. Everybody's doing grunge now. That's not so alternative. Green Day is mainstream. Amen? You want to be different? You want to march to the beat of a different drum? Become a, a, become a, a believer in Christ. And that's what we march to. We march to the, beat, the drum beat of a different drum beat. A different drummer. Amen? And... Uh, and the song was about how we march to the beat of a different drum. The world marches to the drum beat of the gods and the rulers of this world. Christian, we march to the drum beat of God Almighty. Amen? And it reminds me of one more song. And I'm going to go back even further for this one. It's, a, it's another CCM classic. The Imperials, Trumpet of Jesus. Amen? This was their song. I listen to the trumpet of Jesus while the world hears a different sound. I march to the drumbeat of God Almighty while the others just wander around. I'm a member of the Holy Ghost traveling band. We're moving on up to a better land. I hear the voice of the supernatural singing like only those who know him can. Verse 1, one sweet sound makes a whole world of difference when the world seems indifferent to you. His melody of love calls you to be great. When marking time was all you thought you could do. So if you've been playing all your days by ear, never knowing what your song was to be, then pull up a chair, let down your hair, and take a few lessons from me. We listen to the trumpet of Jesus. Amen. We march to the drumbeat of God Almighty. Verse 2. I didn't get this far to leave out verse 2. A spiritual fanfare has a sound all its own at the birth, birth of a lasting song. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was born, and still the celebration goes on. If you feel the need to get your life in tune because you're tired of the drudge every day, then turn yourself around, put your feet on the ground, and just hear what I have to say. We, I listen to the trumpet of Jesus while the world hears a different sound. I march to the drumbeat of God Almighty while the others just wander around. I'm a member of the Holy Ghost traveling band. We're moving on up to a better land. I hear the voice of the supernatural singing like only those who know him can. Amen? Amen. You have a shepherd of your souls who's called you to, the, to marching to the, to the beat of a different drum. Amen? And whatever we must endure, we follow the example laid down by Christ who gave his very life for us on the cross and bore everything for us on the tree. Christian, when you came to Christ, you came to the life of Christ. 